Tyler Smith here with another more than one lesson mini-sode. Uh, first off, I want to apologize that there was no episode last week. Um, it was a combination of things. One, uh, my co-hosts weren't super available. I was going to actually record something on my own, but when I was going to do that, I actually received a call from my mom that my grandmother had passed away, and so I had to go. I had to fly out to Missouri and and spend the weekend uh, with my mom, which was very nice. Uh, but it did mean that there was no episode, and maybe that was for the best, given my general mood. Uh, and I'm not only talking about my grandma. I'm also like so many of the other people. I am in mourning for our political situation at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, something that, uh, we can all do is keep the country in prayer right now. Uh, and, and really try to be there for one another at the same time. Um, uh, quick story. So the day after the election, I went into my class and everybody in class knows that I am conservative. Everybody knows I'm Republican. Uh, they also know that I did not vote for Donald Trump. So that is helpful. But, um, but I still went in with my guard up and, uh, class actually went very well, but afterwards, um, the students were sitting around talking and they actually like said, Hey Tyler, come over here. And they asked me some questions about my own personal political beliefs and, you know, asked me what I thought of Donald Trump. They already kind of knew, but asked me to kind of elaborate a little bit and what I thought of Mike Pence and various other things. And we talked for about 90 minutes and it was very civil. It was very curious uh, on their part. And I came away feeling so encouraged and so excited um, because if nothing else comes from this election, and it's entirely possible that nothing else will come from this election, uh, positive anyway, um, it's that there are there are people on both sides that are more willing to listen to one another. Um, I've seen a number, as though there are protests and riots and that sort of thing, I have seen a number of videos by people saying like, how could this happen? And so, um, so I would encourage you, uh, you know, in the conversations that you have, with people that agree with you or don't agree with you politically, you know, listen to where they're coming from. And, uh, you know, this could be, it's weird that something as strange as the election of Donald Trump could actually bring people together. Uh, but I see it as a, as a tremendous opportunity to, uh, to let this kind of shake you a little bit and be more open about what you believe and to hear what other people believe. So along those lines, uh, you know, I had sworn I was not going to talk to this guy again, but you know what? In light of recent events, he's back on the show and I'm, I'm 
maybe not eager to hear what he has to say, but I'm willing to tolerate him. It's Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Oh, it's me. That's right. I didn't yeah. know who you were talking about. Oh boy, that's awkward. That was a that was a roller coaster of emotion. <laughs> yes, as everything always is with you. You're always just up, all over the place, that's, up and down. That's me. <laughs> I do like when you when you go right into your robot <laughs> character. Um, so, uh, Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Uh, hey, what an election, huh? Am I right? Whoo! Real barn burner. Yeah. I don't know I if that applies or not, but... I don't... Well, you know what? I'll say this. The, the, the night of, it sure was. A lot of people... It went... <laughs> that's true. That's the true. The opposite way is uh, everybody, including me, thought it would go. And I was working as I was... As it was all... You know, results were pouring in. And yeah. I got so tired of hearing people talk about it. Because, you know, I knew I was going to be unhappy either way. Sure. I was like, I'm going home and I don't want to hear anything more about this. And when I wake up in the morning, I'll just see what happened. Yeah. And I'll wait to be angry tomorrow. <laughs> um so, uh, yeah, very, very crazy stuff. But we've got things to talk about. We Namely, do. the best picture of 1959, William Wyler's Ben-Hur, which I, this is a lot like uh, The Deer Hunter for me, and then mm -hmm. I watched it many, many years ago mm -hmm. and remembered virtually nothing of it except, obviously, The Chariot Race. Mm -hmm. Um so I rewatched it last week mm -hmm. and admittedly a good portion of it was while I was working. Cause I don't have four hours to spare. <laughs> um, and I was very glad that I had rewatched it. Um, Ben-Hur is a film that I think aside from, you know, winning a whole bunch of Oscars, people don't really talk about it that much. It's one that as far as like big epics, mm -hmm. um, I feel like Hollywood has moved away from, not from big epics, but I feel like it has moved away from talking about that movie. I feel like film students don't talk about it very much. Maybe it's honestly, maybe, maybe it is slightly political. Maybe they don't like the idea of talking about Charlton Heston. Yeah. Who knows? Um, and it's, there's an overt religiosity to it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's now that might just be in the circles that I run in that I just don't hear much about Ben Hur. Um, is, would you say that is the same for you, or do we just uh, run in different in different circles? I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like I hear about it in critical circles that often. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I think it's one of the, like, of the epics of that period, I think it's one of the best. So I feel yeah. like it probably does deserve to be talked about more. Um, not only in scale, but, like, there's... There's a certain way of keeping an epic moving that yeah. this this movie excels in. I did not feel that four hours. Now, again, yeah. I was working, but I've been working through some things. And I feel every moment. Yeah. Um, this thing really cruises along. Yeah. Um, and you're like, that central character is so engaging. And like yeah. the changes that he goes through, both exterior and interior, are... Uh, you know, draw you in and the, the conflict between him and it's Masala is the other yeah. guy, right? Yeah. Um, that becomes a huge thing. And I, yeah. I don't know, it, it all, it all just plays out very well. And, and it's fun to look at and it's fun to watch. Yeah, that's true. It's, that's the thing is like, I will say that as tends to happen when I watch a movie while I'm working, depending on the movie, Sometimes I get a lot of work done. Sometimes I don't get much. <laughs> and I found myself, my eyes drifting over to the screen and just taking a break from work for a while because it is gorgeous. It yeah. is a really, like, it's a movie that I might buy on Blu-ray or if it played at, like, the Egyptian or something here That'd in town, real cool I'd to love to see it. Yeah. Um, 
And I'll say this about the length of the film. Uh, it's not often that I say like, oh, that movie should have been longer. I do say it sometimes. Um, I'm not about to say that about Ben-Hur. <laughs> what I will say is that though it does move along, William Wyler felt comfortable in really letting certain scenes breathe. Mm -hmm. He didn't feel pressured to move things along. So there is the sequence. There's the rowing sequence. Oh yeah. Where everybody's rowing. And then Jack Hawkins, um, maybe the most British of actors. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. Um, he is sitting back and saying like, okay, we're going to row at this speed. And then the drums go at a certain at a certain pace and then he goes, okay, faster. And then like, you know, ramming speed. And he just, it goes faster and faster until like these guys are starting to pass out and they get whipped. And th before you know it, this scene is like seven minutes long. Oh yeah. And, and I remember just thinking like finding that kind of refreshing is even though the scene itself is quite, uh, terrifying and horrifying in certain ways. Um, I remember just being like, yeah, I, I didn't see the Ben Hur remake. But my guess is that any movie would not have that level of patience just to show, honestly, I'd say the, the, the sadism of this character and really taking time for us to know what Ben-Hur's, what Judah's uh, situation is. Mm -hmm. And that sequence, like other sequences too, but that one I was like, wow, they are really, and I didn't say it in a complaining way. Uh, they are really exploring the space here. Yeah. And I remember really appreciating that with this film. That is something that is the benefit of not merely a longer film, but a director who's willing to have the film be as long as it needs to be. Yeah. Um, and to dig into that uh, circumstance for them, you know, yeah. a, a lot of other films or filmmakers would be enough to just say like, here they are, their slaves rowing on a ship. We all know that's bad. Yeah. Let's keep moving. Um, but I feel like that, I feel like Ben-Hur kind of made us understand, made a lot of us understand, even if it's through cultural osmosis, yeah. how bad that really is and what that yeah. experience is like. Yeah. It's entirely possible that any movie after Ben-Hur that would have a rowing sequence like that could be shorter because we all remember the <laughs> longer rowing scene yeah. from Ben-Hur. No, I'm trying to remember. I know in Spartacus, he is also in a prison ship at one point. Is there a rowing? Is he rowing on it? I can't remember. I don't recall. If I had to guess, I would say like, no, but I might be wrong. I did. I yeah. watched it only recently. Um, so you'd think I would remember. Um, it wasn't long afterwards, right? That's, it was the next year. Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, I remember you and I were hypothesizing why Spartacus was not nominated for Best Picture. And we it arrived at been. like, well, it was only a year after Ben-Hur. Right. Now that I've seen Ben-Hur, I, I get it. I'm not sure if I would say that Ben-Hur is a better film, but in the minds of the Academy, it's like, we already did the big one. Yes. You know, yeah. let's, we don't need to honor this one too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And you're right. I think the, the, the central relationship, even though Judah, um, you know, has relationships with various women, his mother, his sister, um, this one woman that was like a former slave of his, <laughs> old timey slave, not yeah. like we have a very specific definition of what slave means now. Yeah. And it's not the same as what it meant then. It was right. more indentured, ser indentured servanthood at the yeah. time. Um, it wasn't necessarily based on anything racial, not that it's a good thing, mm -hmm. but it was definitely different. Um, yeah. I feel like anybody watching that and not knowing that would be like, why is she falling in love <laughs> with this man? Is this like Stockholm syndrome? What is this? Um, 
and so and in many ways it's like well she kind of fell in love with her boss um or something like that so uh women huh hey am i right (laughs) so uh (laughs) and it's nice to see sam jaff i like him quite a bit he plays uh her her mother uh her father and um but I will say that the central relationship, even though there's a long stretch where it's not there, where it's not on screen, is the relationship between Judah and Masala, played mm-hmm. by Stephen Boyd. And I'll say this uh, again, haven't seen the film in forever. Um, and in between my first viewing, my second viewing, of course, you hear these rumors uh, about Gore Vidal. And that he was brought on. There are a bunch of writers on this. It was officially written by Carl uh, Tunberg. It was at least that's who's that's who's credited. But there's like ten writers on this thing, <laughs> and one of them was Gore Vidal, who was brought in for certain scenes. And there is a rumor that was that a lot of people have accepted that Gore Vidal wanted Stephen Boyd to play uh, Masala as attracted to Judah. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that he should play it that way, and that he convinced William Wyler to do that, but that they did not tell uh, Charlton Heston, so that his character has like more of a straightforward relationship uh, with Masala, but Masala wants this thing that Jude is not giving him. Hmm. Now it's very interesting. Uh, looking it up, it's not uh, that rumor has been widely widely disputed. Huh. Um, because William Wyler's like, well, I'm not playing it like we're not going to play it like that. What are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and then and that uh, Stephen Boyd thought that there's enough here already with just friend with just like old friends who go different ways. Right. We don't need to play it this as yeah. well. But I do think that it's it's a rumor that has gained steam over the years because I think people like to talk about how clueless Charlton Heston was that like he never picked up on this. Mm-hmm. And honestly. Having just talked about Gore Vidal recently, I could see him. It's like, let's see a rumor in which Gore Vidal is some sort of a maestro, convinces people <laughs> to do something they wouldn't, and then is the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, I think he's the type that would uh, perpetuate that, yeah. uh, even if it's not true. Yeah. Um, also, if you think about it, William Wyler at that point is not the type of, uh, of film film director who's yeah. going to bend to the will of one of many writers on yeah. a... On a uh, project of yeah. his even a well-respected one right um especially if the well-respected one is saying like hey i've got an idea what do you think of this yeah um and so uh so it remains to be seen if that is actually true or not and when i say remains to be seen it might never be known but uh that's definitely something that uh, that i went into the film with that and honestly there's enough now that I, we've seen enough movies in which you know two male characters you know, one is attracted to the other and the other one doesn't know it or something like that. Mm-hmm. We've seen that enough. And as you know, it's a, it's a, it's something of a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. The idea that in, that even in Hollywood, um, maybe especially in Hollywood, the idea of two men being close is somehow not possible unless there's this extra element, right, yeah. um, which bothers me deeply. But mm-hmm. I think Stephen Boyd, one way or another, really plays this guy as like, wanting to he's he is he's a really good villain precisely because he didn't start as one like that he becomes very vindictive towards judah and that that vindictiveness is a it's very palpable yeah and he feel he does seem to be coming from a place of hurt yeah um now i think what he's asking judah to do in like betraying his own people mm-hmm. um 
obviously that's not something he should ask. Right. But, um, I don't know. There's something kind of fascinating about a character feeling hurt because somebody, because somebody can't give them something they had no right to ask in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think his performance is really great. I think all the performances are solid. Yeah. His is one that I always, like, you forget about him as an actor. Like I don't know much else that he did. Yeah, me either. And every time I watch that movie, I'm like, that's right. And he's yeah. really good in this movie, but I don't know much else about him. Um, Hugh Griffith, who we'd, we'd previously talked about in uh, uh, Tom Jones. Mm-hmm. He plays uh, Sheik Ilderim or something <laughs> like that. And uh, yeah, okay, there's, I'm not sure if I'd say there's some blackface, but he's not in whiteface, so I'll say that. <laughs> uh, but he does a great job. Yeah. Um, and again, like there's, <clears throat> this is a film that actually has a number of iconic scene uh, moments, if not entire scenes. And there's a moment where the Sheik brings in like these four gorgeous white horses. Yeah. Um, because he has like, it's basically his like chariot team. And it's beautiful. And I remember just being so struck by those. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good scene. I remember that one too. And now I'm trying to remember. This is a dumb movie nerd thing. I feel like one of those horses is named Khartoum, and I think that might be the name of the guy's horse in The Godfather. Wow. Okay. I know. I couldn't. I. <laughs> yeah, that I do not recall. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like I remember that from both movies, and I might just be putting the two of them together somehow. But that would be a cool reference if in fact that is the case um Uh, but yeah i I do remember that yeah Yeah, and it's just and i think it stands out because okay so i have i have an image in my mind of what older epics like this look like Hmm. and and let's say westerns too Mm -hmm. period films that are made in the let's say Mm pre-1960 I have a very clear idea of what they look like. And usually I arrive at clean. They look surprisingly clean Mm -hmm. given the fact that they probably are about a very dirty area uh, era. And I went into Ben-Hur expecting that as well. And admittedly, you know, you don't find a lot of like, you actually don't find a lot of beards. You know what I mean? It feels That's like a more more people would would have beards, yeah. you know? But there's a lot of clean-shaven people. But at the same time, we're dealing with uh, ancient Rome, so who knows? Hmm. Um, but uh, from a color palette standpoint and from the idea of like seeing characters like dirt on their faces and they're sweaty and it just looks really uncomfortable, you know, the heat of, of being like out in the desert and yeah. stuff really comes through. And I think that's why the white horses are so striking not merely are they just i've seen white horses before but they're contrasted against a a fairly unclean environment it's not necessarily gladiator or anything like that but um i don't know william wyler when i don't think of him very much Mm -hmm. uh i feel like a lot of people when they think of the the great directors uh of you know the gold uh, the golden age of hollywood um i feel like he's not talked about very much uh but he he reminds he's he reminds me of like robert wise Mm, yeah Great director, but maybe people don't think of him as an auteur or whatever, like, or whatever. And so he kind of gets pushed to the side, but his movies are remembered. Yeah. But looking at this, like he's definitely a visualist. Yeah. Um, really crafts, uh, I'd say a master of tone, really great visuals, solid character work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is a really well-made movie now. Here's what, and I, oh, and, uh, the last thing I'll say that is like really positive, um, 
is that uh, along with, you know, a movie like this, I won't say it's necessarily like Rocky, but it's not unlike Rocky and that we all have an idea of what it is. And then you see and you're like, oh, this is way better. Yeah. Uh, I think we all have an idea of who Charlton Heston is as an actor mm-hmm. on top of everything else. Yeah. And I think most people, myself included, would not count him as one of the best actors. Yeah. And we all, the big cultural things that people remember about him are Soylent Green is people yeah. and um damn you all to hell right from, yeah. you blew it up yeah just a very sort of you know yeah um if i do if i try to do a, a charlton heston it winds <laughs> up at clark gable again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's not that's that's true um but uh, but a very specific way of of talking that seems a little bit stylized if, and maybe theatrical yeah. as well um you know Though, though he is a perfectly serviceable actor, uh, I don't think anybody would view him as like the high point of touch of evil. You know, he's, yeah. he merely does the job he needs to do. Um, but in watching Ben-Hur, you do realize that there's something to be said for an actor who can be on screen for almost all of four hours yeah. and carry a movie. Yeah. That's yeah, an that, old school Hollywood thing. That is. And it's, it's sort of like, it's almost like it's pure charisma. That's almost all there is to it. It's not necessarily there's anything that he's doing, but there's just something about his presence that makes him kind of magnetic. And, uh, certainly in this movie, especially he's got kind of a power to him. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it definitely stands out from his other roles and stands out from the other character uh, actors in the film. And yeah. I don't know. I can't think of a lot of other performances that are like this. You know, it's the the comparison that I'll make is a more modern one, which is, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Gladiator, but there is a reason that Russell Crowe won Best Actor for it. And it's because that's a it's a movie that is total spectacle and any lead actor could get lost in the spectacle or mm-hmm. the, the character could. And but he manages to actually carry that movie. But that's not that's something I didn't appreciate until a few years later when Kingdom of Heaven came out. Mm-hmm. And while I have heard that the director's cut is actually quite good. The film itself is, you know, directed by what directed by Ridley Scott, and then you know it's this big period epic, and the lead is played by Orlando Bloom, who gets totally swallowed up. He's not a bad actor in general, but like he needs to be in the right role, and carrying an epic is not the right role for yeah. him. He gets completely swallowed up. That movie exists almost in spite of him. <laughs> Whereas Ben Hur, like when I think of Ben-Hur, I think of Charlton Heston. When I think of Spartacus, I think of Kurt, uh, Kirk Douglas, you know, and it's, it is a charismatic performance. It's a willful performance. It's a strong performance. This is a guy who, if, you know, has his, his principles make him stand strong. And then eventually his hatred makes him stand strong. Yeah. And I really like that, but he also has nice moments of, you know, one another thing that I love is his relationship with Jack Hawkins, who again is kind of sadistic early on, and then is saved by Judah, and then the two develop a father son relationship, yeah. and it's very tender. He has a great line that I'm uh, I don't know if I remembered exactly, but right after, uh, shortly after he Charlton Heston saves his life, uh, is after they've they've made it back from from mm-hmm. the the shipwreck and all that stuff, yeah. and he says something like, "You're uh, the Jack Hawkins, Hawkins character is asking him why this happened, and yeah. Ben Hur is saying that, well, I think God saved me, and yeah. he says something like, 
well, your God and his zeal to save you has also saved the Roman fleet. Yeah. I always like that line. I do, yeah, I love it. And it does definitely, you know, as a Christian, when you hear that, you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> God works in mysterious ways, I guess. Um, uh, and yeah, and it's the kind of, it's the kind of line that Jack Hawkins can find all the irony in and yet still be <laughs> yeah. totally sincere. Um, Jack Hawkins is something of an unsung actor. People don't talk about him enough, but he He's shows true. up. He'll show up in, in a few weeks when we talk about Bridge on the River Kwai. He's in, yeah. uh, he's in uh, Lawrence of Arabia. He's just one of those yeah, actors right. that like, we need someone super British. <laughs> hey, I think we got someone. Um, but uh, what I will say, though, is that after the chariot race and after... Masala dies. And so his death scene is really solid him, between him and, and Judah. Um, after that, you have, you know, uh, Judah dealing with like his, his mother and sister who now have leprosy. Mm-hmm. Um, you have him, you know, witnessing the crucifixion and all of these things. And then eventually deciding like to let the hate go from his heart because of his encounter with Christ. As a Christian, I like that. As a moviegoer, it's sort of when the start, film started to bore me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like from a storytelling. It, so I've been thinking a lot about Christian film lately for reasons having to do with school. And I've been sort of charting like things that show up in a lot of Christian movies. And one thing that pops up is an extended denouement. Hmm. After the conflict is over, the film goes on for a while. Hmm. And not necessarily in a uh, no country for old men kind of way. Like Mm -hmm. aspects of the story continue and it just feels sort of by nature, it will feel a bit tacked on. Hmm. It could be great as it is in Ben-Hur, but it still feels a little bit tacked on. It does feel like when you're setting it up as Judah and Masala started out as friends, hate each other. It causes Judah to go through all this terrible stuff. He encounters Masala, like again, at this chariot race, Masala is killed and Judah in, in those last moments is sort of reconciled to this man. And even though there's more story and everything's fine, it did feel like, okay, well, first off, it's hard to get me to pay attention to anything after that chariot race. That thing is so amazing, Mm. so cinematic that anything after that is definitely going to feel like a come down, Um, even if the even if it's not necessarily the emotional climax of the film. And so the finale, I don't want to I'm not going to complain about it. It works. And I think it actually fits with with the film. But it did sort of after a while, I'm like, it's the only time I started looking at my watch, so to speak, Mm. Um, you know, and it's a maybe it's cause it's, it's a t- the tail end of four hours, but I don't know. What do you, uh, what do you think about that? I don't know. I don't remember having that much of a, a problem with it. And I don't know. It is a movie that I've seen several times. And so I think repeat viewings kind of helps it a little bit. Yeah. But I feel like I think of it and maybe that again, that this is from having watched it several times is, I feel like in later views, I more started to see it. The whole story is really about him uh, I guess building to a certain path and then realize that that doesn't work for him right. um, because he he he's built back up from nothing 
but pretty much in pursuit of revenge the entire time. And then when he gets it, he's not full. It's, he's not fulfilled. Yeah. He expects that like, you know, that, that would be the end of the seventies exploitation film. You sure. know, <laughs> like you, the bad guy died. Problem um, solved. Right. But it has to keep going from there. And I, and I feel like that's where it can, that's part of it that becomes dramatically interesting for me. Not, not to say that the rest of it isn't, but, um, I feel like it forces that character to deal with some more difficult questions yeah. than he has had to otherwise. And when he's one that's been so singularly driven for so long, yeah, uh, he becomes, even if he doesn't like get weepy and sort of uh, like, what am I supposed to do now? Kind of thing. Right. He, he does get a little rudderless. Yeah. And I feel honestly, I think the rudderlessness is maybe what I'm responding to because like, look, I can I can think abstractly enough to understand that he's raging against the Roman Empire once Masala is gone. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't picture the Roman Empire. In fact, up until then, I pictured the Roman Empire as Masala. Right. <laughs> and once he's gone, it definitely does feel rudderless. And so his rage seems almost like an impotent rage, which yeah. is interesting. But I almost feel like, oh, I wish they had introduced like another character who's like above Masala that he has that. Ben-Hur has no particular beef with and he's been maybe in like two or three scenes and so it's like and now he's in charge or whatever it is um, and it's like it gives us an, a, a face to dislike it gives us again it gives Ben-Hur like a face to hate and it kind of it can play up this notion of like, okay, Masala's gone, but what, but the real issue is this guy. I got to go after this guy. And it can toy with the idea. It's like, yeah, but after him, there's just going to be another one and it never actually stops. Mm -hmm. So you just need to let this go. Um, but that's, you know, uh, and maybe, and you know, you said rudderless, maybe the rudderlessness is a good thing. You know, this guy who is living for something his whole life, he gets it, albeit not necessarily in a way he was anticipating. And now, what does he do? Yeah. Um, and you know, you could make the argument also that maybe part of the reason that doesn't work for, for you and maybe for other viewers too, is that maybe once he gets to that point in the, in the character's arc, maybe that's where Charlton Heston isn't the best actor for that part. Maybe after point. Cause he, when he can be the strong, yeah. tough guy, yeah, he's great for that. But when, when he has to maybe be more of a, uh, more of an introspective character or someone who questions yeah. what his motives have, have been, that might be where yeah. Charlton Heston finds a little, has, has a little bit more weakness as an actor. Maybe it would have been stronger if he saw like a big statue of Caesar on a beach. Right. <laughs> and gets mad at and it. just fell to his knees. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, and I do actually want to, want to briefly go back and talk about that chariot race because it is, an astonishing achievement. Yeah. I can't, it sounds weird. Of course I know how they did it. They filmed it, but <laughs> within that, <laughs> but within that, I can't figure out how they, how yeah. they did it. It's <laughs> astonishing to me. And the fact that there's no music. Oh yeah. Wonderful choice yeah. because it's just the, the hooves constantly. Yeah. Um, and just some wonderful stunt work. I mean, there are people who's like, that guy totally got trampled by a horse. Yeah. At least it looks like it. I'm pretty I sure at least one person died in the... In the filming of it? Yeah. I could... I believe I'm it. I'm pretty sure I've heard that. Um, and so, I mean, 
you know, and so obviously she's like, well, okay, I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, it's like, oh yeah, the reason it looks so dangerous is because it was dangerous. Somebody <laughs> died. Like, I don't like the idea of somebody dying for film, but, yeah. um, but at the same time, like just the way it's cut together, the way it's shot, sound choices, performance, it's all there. I mean, that is, that sequence is almost like a pinnacle of filmmaking for yeah, me. I know. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious to watch the remake just to yeah. see how that chariot race looks. Cause it yeah. feels to me like almost in the same way that people talked about like, uh, the force awakens where it's like, people are tired of CG. They need to do it for real. That it needs to be practical effects. And if I'm the director of like the new Ben Hur, it's like, all right, everybody thinks of the chariot race and they had no CG. So I guess we got to do this real. <laughs> and I, that might, that might not be true. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'd be curious to see. And going into that film, it's like, you know, that's the centerpiece. Like, oh yeah, you know, everyone's expecting yeah. to see something out of that and is wondering what you're going to do with that. So, and I'm trying to think again, like I, I, I don't know how this movie would play with people, uh, with modern audiences and stuff, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of film fans, like younger film fans, if they not only haven't seen it, but know virtually nothing about it. Yeah. And so I, I love, I would love to see it show like on a big screen and yeah. have like younger viewers go and see it. And I have to assume be astonished by that. Yeah. Like that is up there with, that's almost to me like a top 25 film sequences for me. Oh, like yeah. it's just, it's up there with like anything. I think Lawrence of Arabia is for me an infin infinitely better movie. Mm just because of what I look for in a movie, but that sequence I'd put up against basically anything that any director has ever done. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so we'll, we'll move on. Uh, so the film won everything. Oh, sorry. Not screenplay. <laughs> I guess because there are 10 people that were nominated. Well, that, that wrote it. Uh, it won picture actor, supporting actor for, um, Stephen Boyd who played Masal. Oh wait, no. For Griffith, right? Wait, hang on. Uh, yes, for Hugh Griffith, which is, uh, it's weird, but I wrote this down many, many, uh, weeks ago and, uh, completely forgot that it was in fact Hugh Griffith and, uh, not Stephen Boyd. For some reason I thought it was Stephen Boyd. Um, anyway, so the film also won best director, cinematography, art direction, costumes, sound editing, special effects, and music. And it did not win best adapted screenplay. Um, so it almost had them all. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's a towering achievement. Um, let's look at the other Best Picture nominees. Anatomy of a Murder, The Diary of Anne Frank, The Nun's Story, and Room at the Top. I've seen Anatomy of a Murder many times. Yeah. Uh, I saw Diary of Anne Frank in high school. I've not seen the other two. Know very little about either one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I know anything no. about those other two, although I feel like I've heard of Room at the Top. I have heard of it, yes. The Nun story I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. um, I guess people thought it was one of the five best movies of all time. That's what I've heard uh, of, the, of that year, at least. Yeah, some people did. Um, but not the best. <laughs> the best was no. considered Ben-Hur. Um, yeah, so of the ones I've seen, which is the you know Anatomy of a Murder, Diary of Anne Frank, and Ben-Hur. I love Anatomy of a Murder, but Ben-Hur is just a best achievement like it's it's yeah yeah it's, it's wonderful all around yeah um other notable 1959 releases the 400 blows i know that's a movie you like sure is i think it's merely fine that's not true i like it quite a bit um compulsion floating weeds imitation of life north by northwest uh pickpocket i wrote down plan nine from outer space <laughs> to be funny um shadows which is con uh, john cassavetti's film some yeah. like it hot 
uh, the world of Apu. Uh, good year. Yeah, there's really good, good year. stuff in there. Looking at those, are you still good with Ben Hur winning? I think so. Yeah. Because I feel like going through there, the other ones that I like the most are probably 400 blows, some like it hot, and I I don't remember how the world of Apu rates on my of those three movies from that yeah. trilogy because I love that trilogy, but I've seen both of the others twice and I've only seen that one once and I need to see it again. Yeah. Um so that might be up there too if I had a if I had a rewatch I might that might kick it back up to the top. But both of those other ones, 400 Blows and Some Like It Hot, as much as I like those, they're definitely not the same kind of achievement that Ben-Hur is. Yeah. Um, 400 Blows is very experimental for the time and is very, uh, I think, uh, innovative. But story-wise, it's not it's not real strongly held together. And, and it's, yeah. I mean, it was his first film. Yeah. So it's, you know has those kind of uh it, it has some limitations in it that any first film is going to have and while some like it hot is a movie that i love it's it's more just because i find it really enjoyable like it's just a i've lot never of been fun. a fan ever i know and i don't i don't understand it but it, like i don't know that i would say like that's a there's something empirically great about that film it's just i i think it's enjoyable i like the way those actors play against each other i, think, and I like the dialogue i think you have a lot more patience for silly jack lemon than i do <laughs> well probably um but uh although i do like when uh tony curtis is essentially impersonating Cary grant yeah i do enjoy that um and admittedly that last moment of the film is a lot of fun yeah uh and surprisingly uh modern in its sensibility <laughs> yeah um <laughs> Uh, I will say North by Northwest is a film that I only recently rewatched. Didn't really care for it in high school and I was wrong. <laughs> this movie is amazing. Um, but it's also just not the type of movie that gets nominated right. for best picture, even yeah. though it is marvelous and very ambitious. It is great. I, I wonder that's among my favorite Cary Grant performances, but then I have to remember that I think my favorite Hitchcock film is notorious, which is also another great yes. Cary Grant performance. Um, so, uh, let's see, favorite Cary Grant performance. I, maybe Philadelphia story for me. I think he's pretty marvelous in that. Cause I like anything where it's his persona, but with a bit of a, with a bit of an edge, which mm -hmm. is definitely notorious. Yeah. Um, and then in Philadelphia story, yes, it's still like kind of a, there's a screwball element, but it's like, no, nah, this guy's not he's, super likable. He's kind of a jerk. <laughs> and he's kind of abusive to his wife. <laughs> uh, and yet still somehow I'm rooting for him cause he is played by Cary Grant. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I think I'm perfectly fine. Not even perfectly fine. I'm enthusiastic about Ben Hur winning Best Picture. It deserves it, mm -hmm. and it's very rare for us to be sent to, for us to be talking about these movies and saying it deserves it. Yeah, we'll say like, yeah, that's fine. Sometimes we'll say, no way. This is one where, yeah, mm -hmm. why not? Um, so yeah. And listeners, if you haven't seen it, I mean, we've kind of spoiled some of it, but honestly us talking about it doesn't come anywhere near what this thing is. Yeah. And so, uh, so seek out Ben Hur, get it on Blu-ray, watch it on a good screen with good sound and, uh, enjoy yourself. So, uh, we will be, uh, back next week. I believe that, uh, we won't be doing a full episode next week. We'll be talking about the next best picture for 1958, Vincent Minnelli's Gigi. So stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. We'll get you next time. Bye.
Thank you.